It's a new year, which means new reasons to stop by QT, like drinks to wash out the taste of last year. I need more. And fresh snackles worth breaking a resolution. Pizza has tomatoes, so technically, it's a salad. Want to binge a new show? We've got plenty to snack along with it, like our new cheesy mac and cheese. Wow, it's like my wife's, but even cheddar. Up top. This is the time for new beginnings, and it starts at Quick Trip. QT, more than a gas station. Introducing Peacock, the new free streaming service from NBC Universal. It's hit movies, current shows, live sports, trending bits, and timeless hits. And that's why you can't not watch. Peacock, watch for free, upgrade for more. Stream now at PeacockTV.com. Law and Order SVU streaming now. Welcome to episode four of Kaiju Curry House. I'm one of your hosts, Paul, and joining me today we have Joe. Howdy there. And Alex. Hello. Today's episode, we are going to be discussing some of the lesser known Kaiju movies out there to hopefully spread the word and give our listeners something new to watch. So first up is going to be Joe. Um, we're going to go from oldest to newest. So Joe's got the oldest film. Take it away, Joe. Yeah, so... I have the distinction of being like the old fogey in the group who doesn't like any of this newfangled CGI garbage. Um, anyways, uh, I do like CGI. I'm just being weird. Anyways, um, my film, uh, it's called The Abominable Snowman, and it's actually by Hammer, and uh, it's based on a BBC teleplay called The Creature. Basically, um, how it came about was there is a guy named uh, Nigel, I'm going to mispronounce his name, but Neil, it's one of those K-N surnames. But anyways, um, Nigel wrote it for the BBC, The Creature, and um, it held up pretty well. And uh, Hammer ended up uh, tapping pretty much the exact same cast, you know, the same writer. And um, they're like, let's make a movie out of this. So, as the story goes, um, back in the 1950s and 60s, there was all sorts of strange cryptozoological uh, creatures that people were looking for. And cryptozoology is actually like the study of unknown or the finding of unknown but suspected creatures in the world. The Yeti, Loch Ness Monster, Bigfoot, these are all things that would qualify under the banner of cryptozoology. Anyways, um, in that time frame, 50s and 60s, and 70s if you were a Loch Ness fan um it was all the rage so Nigel was intrigued by the idea of the Yeti in the Himalayas so he wrote this teleplay and then later got adapted into a film again written by him so fun facts about this um Peter Cushing who if you're a Star Wars fan you'll recognize that name immediately Peter was a a regular of many of the Hammer films, uh, when he wasn't playing Van Helsing, which he was quite a bit, um, he was doing other smaller projects, and The Abominable Snowman was one of them. Uh, So this film came out in 1957. Um, The teleplay was from 1955. And uh, basically, as the story goes, there is a doctor, because there's always, you know, just an agreeable, nice scientist trying to do their thing. 
And he and his wife are in the Himalayas and, you know, they're kind of botanists. They're looking for, you know, nice things, you know, to help people out, you know, cure terrible diseases, all that good stuff. But there's kind of this rumor there's a Yeti about. So Dr. John Rollison um, and his wife, who is named Helen Rollison, oddly enough, um, they contact their friend, whose name is actually Tom Friend, <laughs> and uh, they end up going looking for yetis. So what's really great about this uh, motion picture is it's not a monster movie in a traditional sense. It's uh, more about how people are monsters and they project that onto other creatures so spoiler there is an abominable snowman there's more than one actually but uh it's the people that do the most damage in this film and essentially you know like some of these scientists get caught up with the idea that like no one will believe them they have to bring back proof they have to kill or capture one and then bring it back to civilization quote unquote and they aren't acting necessarily very civilized about it, which I think is what, you know, the director, whose name is Val Guest, was trying to get at. And, you know, obviously the writer Nigel, you know, is like, we aren't necessarily the most civilized of species. We do a lot of terrible things in the name of science and civilization. And when they come up onto these mountaintops, they encounter a race of very benign creatures who happen to be very powerful and very well adapted to their environment. And the people end up, you know, like dying of their own accord and, you know, getting into all sorts of trouble of their own accord. And in the end, even though like they take the life of another creature, like the beings, the abominable snowmen are still quite amiable and helpful. I guess you might say another fantastic thing about this film is that, uh, you never see all of the abominable snowman. Um, Fred Johnson was the fellow that they tapped to wear the suit. So it is. Uh, so, you know, this is traditional man in the suit film, but, um, Fred Johnson, like, uh, you only see like fleeting glimpses, like out of the corner of your eye of the creature. And then the end during like the climax, you get to like see the creature's eyes. And he's like, like supposedly that, you know, like the directors were like, he's looking into your soul. And, uh, you know, he just has like these very kind, gentle, old eyes. And I think that the reason that they taught, they tapped Fred was specifically because he just had like, you know, like that twinkle in his eye, so to speak. But uh, it's a very cerebral film. It's, it's not like anything blowing up. It's not crazy murders. There's no lots, there's not a lot of blood or anything. It's just old school black and white. And what Hammer prides itself with is that they make films that are, a thinking person's horror film they aren't into slash slash gore gore which if that floats your boat fair enough but hammer isn't necessarily into making that kind of horror film they like to make smart horror movies and um this is definitely one that i enjoyed and uh it's it's just like it's just soft i mean like there are a lot of hard or loud monster movies out there this one's just soft and it allows you to think and of course, you know, it's very British. It was done for the BBC. It was adapted by Hammer. It has Peter Cushing in it. 
<laughs> so, I mean, like, if you wanted to find a British monster movie, this is definitely, you know, going to be up there. But uh, just a really nice film, and I don't think a lot of folks know about it. Now, if that has interested you, I'm looking at Amazon right now, and um, if you're listening from the United States, you can get it for $6 new, and I paid five quid for my copy. I got it off of Amazon UK. Um, it isn't one that they've reprinted recently or, you know, re-released, but, um, it may see that, uh, in 2013, there was kind of like a rumble that, uh, it was going to be, uh, remade and, uh, Simon Oakes, who was the president of Hammer at the time, um, he was just saying, you know, we like this one and, you know, Lady in Black was successful. We've had a few hits, you know, this would be a pretty easy one to make. Let's perhaps go ahead with it. But, you know, it's a great movie on a great potential, and I really recommend it. How did you discover it? Um, I realize I've just come out of the silence there. Yeah, like, how, how did you stumble across it? It's a fairly random choice. Well, you know, like, you just got to be on the hunt sometimes. Like, I think what I was doing was I was looking for stuff for Gorgo one day, and... And then, you know, I got sidetracked, you know, because you always stay on track when you go on the internet looking for something. And it went from Gorgo to British monster movies. And I saw Abominable Snowman. And, you know, I'm familiar with Hammer. Like, Hammer does make some pretty awesome horror films. And, I mean, a lot of their old school stuff, like, that's got, like, a major cult following. Um, But, uh you know, I just happened upon it, and I kind of like some cryptozoological stuff. I mean, like Tim Dinsdale's book on the Loch Ness Monster is sitting right behind me, and, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, I'll give, you know, for five, six quid, I will certainly give this a go. And I was very pleasantly surprised just to how clever it was. I mean, like, sometimes you just watch a monster movie or a horror movie, and you're like, wow, that was some schlock. <laughs> but um, I couldn't find it... Uh, via a library i couldn't rent it so you know like amazon was just the way to go and it was just a happy coincidence really but you know when i find interesting things i tend to pounce on it especially in this uh niche fandom that we have if you don't buy the dvds when they were released sometimes you're just passing something like a white buffalo up because you might not see it again yeah but you know well we spend our time just waiting around to pounce don't we yeah, to a degree. I mean, like in this case, you know, I was kind of actively looking for things. Mm. I mean, there are a couple other films like I, I did. I still haven't to this day, and I don't particularly want to see Conga. Um, I, I gave Grabbers a go. Grabbers was pretty fun. Mm. Um, but uh, you know, this is this just really struck a chord with me. Just how clever and how good the message was, and just I mean, it was. Done, and it was done just on a shoestring budget um they went and filmed it in the alps but uh just i mean for the cost of a few flares mm. and maybe a slightly done up gorilla suit i mean like it doesn't look like that on film you never see all of it it looks really good actually but you know like it's pretty great oh the other great thing i'll say is that um marine o'connell i mean like she's like the lone woman in this film um, she comes across definitely as like the voice of reason. She comes across as the voice of decency. At no point 
does she ever like run away screaming from a creature at no point is she ever abducted she is an intelligent honest decent human being see and serves as it serves as like a, a conscience even before they leave she doesn't go on the expedition because again this is 1957 that this film was made but she's the one that picks up pieces at the end as well so strong female character not necessarily through all the film but it was good like they, they handled it well i'm gonna object now because you see you've set it up as like the best the best one to start off but it's all downhill because mine when we bring when we bring it in next you know fast forward 20 years and it's full of screaming women doing nothing useful so i'm gonna look really <laughs> really misogynistic now oh dear um well i mean it's, uh, you don't i mean this is one of those things women deserve good parts they women are just yeah. they are just as good as men and i mean not in some cases they're probably definitely better but um i mean in, in this case 1957 i think they did yeah. a really good job and you know she is just mrs rawlinson mm. and marino connell you know plays the part really well but she is a conscience and she's objecting to this you know like she's saying well like it might not even be there but if it is it's just like what kind of person are you to just go after it you know just like leave it alone like you shouldn't be going up there and then stuff happens and lo and behold she's the one that finds peter cushing and saves the day and does all this stuff i mean like i'm not really spoiling anything there i mean like the front cover of like movie and the poster just shows peter cushing alone but in any case uh you know like it's just an all-around decent movie like the whole cast like it's just kind of an ensemble thing they i mean all the characters just they play a good decent part what what yeah. would be good before we just take a break now joe could you just rewind the conversation briefly back to when you mentioned you were searching for gorgo so for our listeners who don't know what gorgo is and what the connection is for us specifically as a kaiju all right so Gorgo is another man in a suit uh, film, and it's actually kind of a takeoff on Godzilla. It, it's really funny because um, it was, I mean, like Godzilla has obviously inspired Gorgo, which is basically like big mama monster is searching for a little baby monster. And Eugene Laurie was the person that directed it, and he directed Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, which that's... Uh, it, it, it's great um it's a fantastic film in its own right but that movie helped inspire godzilla <laughs> so you have, you have eugene laurie which beast of Twenty Thousand fathoms inspires godzilla and then godzilla inspires gene laurie to make gorgo which is basically a guy in a suit rampaging around london looking for miniature monster <laughs> and a kaiju for all of our listeners um it's translated to strange beast now that can mean many things to many different people um some people are going to take it as a japanese giant monster or a person in a suit things of like that but we're just taking it in simplest form strange beast otherwise we would be quite low on content pretty quickly mm. but yeah you know gorgo's fun but um gorgo's gorgo i mean like you're going to encounter it on the internet i mean it is it, it gorgo's essentially godzilla less the uh dorsal plates and some you know, finny ears. I mean, they even call them Gorgo ears now because they've just become so iconic. Okay, we'll take our break now and we'll come back and I'm going to lower the tone with the utter bilge that I'm about to throw upon you. <laughs> okay, see you shortly, guys. Attention everyone in the galaxy. 
This is Ian and Chris from Echo Station Podcast. We are stranded here on Hoth, and we need your help desperately. It's imperative that everyone listen to our message. The Empire is closing in with every intention to shut us and our message down. Make sure to follow us at Echo Station Cast on the Twitter sphere and listen to us every other Monday for all your up-to-date Star Wars news and needs. You can't stop the signal, Mal. Wrong smuggler! Uh, uh, uh. Cut! And welcome back to Kaiju Curry House. My name is Alex, and I'm joined by Joe. Howdy there. And Paul, who's quietly been having a nap in the corner, thinking, I've got 30 minutes to kill, and he'll be joining us shortly with his film. We've just been listening to Joe, who's been delivering the goods, talking about The Abominable Snowman, which was 1950, what was it? 57 was when the film came out. 57. Uh, so we're going to fast forward now to 1978, and the film that I picked is The Warlords of Atlantis. This was... Along with Toho's Godzilla movies, this was like one of the main monster movie, yes, standalone monster movies that got me into the franchise. So um, I was exposed to this film when my parents recorded it on a dusty VHS, and I would have been watching it maybe about 15 years after it came out, and... Okay, so the lowdown on it as a film, it's got a budget of about... Two million, which nineteen seventy eight. How does that stand up, guys? What would you say? I mean, that sounds good. Yeah, it's not. That's not bad. It's not great. Yeah. Okay. So mid budget monster movie, and the main kind of like idea is that it's it's a British cast with an American kind of director, and it feels sort of. Like, like a schoolboy story, to be honest. That's the best way to describe it. So um, all of these adventurers, they set out by boat in search for Atlantis. And this um, this sort of English professor... Um, he's, it's really tropey, this film. So this, this English professor type, he's kind of waffling on about Atlantis being real. And he makes up a crew of these seafaring pirate type people who are obviously going to uh, turn on him and have a mutiny. He's joined by his son, who's an engineer, and there's sort of the, the token handsome kind of hero of the part. And it's very much kind of like a male-led cast. That's why I was kind of umming and ahhing when Joe mentioned kind of the strong lead in Abominable Snowmen, because... Uh, She's not so much of a lead as she's just a supporting character. I'll make that clear. She didn't okay. go on the expedition, but she was there at the beginning. But, but, the, a, uh, but a positive female character influenced the plot. Yes. So um, the crew basically pull up in the ocean and they get attacked by this monster, which is known as the Sentinel. And the Sentinel is just basically an octopus. It's just a chance for lots of rubber tentacles flying out, people getting strangled, knocked around. No one dies, but everyone's beaten up a bit. And then they're like, okay, there's definitely something underneath. So they, they decide they're going to go on an expedition and go deep into the water. So there's some kind of like mashup physics of how they're going to build this thing that's going to go into the water and not sink and not struggle under the pressure. It's utter rubbish, but it's great fun. They go deep into the water, uh, just a small crew at this point, and it gets attacked by what looks like the Loch Ness Monster. Again, 
more monster action and its head comes into the uh, this little boat that was sinking into the water it's a great scene and they electrocute the um the sea monster's mouth and kill it and oh, there's some fantastic kind of human versus monster action but the monsters always come a cropper in this anyway sort of fast forward a bit and the boat safely made it underwater but then at the same time what looks like it's a shore because as far as i can understand it with it being atlantis it's subterranean but it's quite clearly just a set in Malta. Like, most of the filming is Mediterranean. And um, that kind of, like, sets up the scene perfectly for an attractive damsel in distress stood on the cliffside, looking majestically at them. They're led kind of towards her. And then they finally, they do discover the city of Atlantis. And the bright professor who's kind of leading the crew, he gets kidnapped because they want his brain, because he's the intelligent one. And he's sort of led off by them, and it becomes very clear that uh, this civilization, it was part of Earth, but it sank a long time ago. And there's, like, there's all this sort of general sci-fi plot going on whilst this professor's kidnapped, and wears this strange helmet which exposes uh, him to all of their technology that he's about to absorb and expand his mind. It makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Meanwhile, the part that I care about... Aquaman. Aqu <laughs> what? No. No, not Aquaman. Aquaman's like a warlord of Atlantis, isn't he? Yeah, but he's, he's not in this film. No, he, he was away... Is Mira. Oh, he, 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 he... I got excited there, Joe. I know, sorry guys, he was a, he, Aquaman was not there. So, meanwhile, whilst the guy is not meeting Aquaman, he's having his mind expanded by the history of Atlantis, the main kind of city walls are being attacked by these gigantic armadillos that remind me of Anguirus, and they're called the Zargs. Wait, wait, they, well, got pa pause, 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 pause. What, 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 what? Underwater armadillos. Yeah, yeah, armored armadillos, yeah. That's awesome yeah like there's these three armored armadillos called the zargs that basically make their way towards the walls and the the humans the atlanteans they're fighting off these zargs with cannonballs and they're firing cannons and it's just utterly ridiculous and there's all these flashes and explosions as the monsters are rearing back making the generic what was that sound yeah <laughs> all those kind of noises and it, and it just basically it it really feels like a 70s toho film which is probably why i enjoyed both watching godzilla films and this because it kind of mirrored they mirror each other so well kind of a, an american take on monster movies and yeah it still amounts to the same thing it's sort of like a fairly dodgy sci-fi plot and lots of monsters being shot at by weapons that are doing absolutely nothing. Because what the film shows is the only way to kill a massive monster is to smash a light bulb in a lamp, even though there's no electrical supply because you're in a boat underwater, and then electrocute the mouth of the Loch Ness monster. And that, that that's the way to take out a monster. Poor Nessie. Oh yeah, no, N Nessie goes down. And um, yeah. yeah, like, main... No wonder we can't find her, she died in the movie. She did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it, there's armored armadillos. Oh, there's, there's an amazing part where these cannonballs that are doing nothing, one of the Zargs makes its way towards the wall. And just as this 
this dad, basically the, the father of this damsel, kind of introduces himself and he's the leader of the resistance. He gets eaten and it's brilliant. And uh, there goes the damsel screaming as her father's been eaten. She says to the hero, well, if my dad's dead, I've got nothing to keep me in Atlantis now. And it, yeah, it's, it's all set up beautifully. So what is a bit peculiar about the film is it, it seems to spend two-thirds of the film with them with the characters trying to make the way to Atlantis and one-third of the film running away from Atlantis. Does that ring a bell to you, Joe, from what you can remember of it? Yeah, it's a bit of a repressed memory, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> um, I wouldn't necessarily call the Zargs, like, armadillos, although that's clearly what they were going for. It's like if you crossed Skeletor with, like... The creature from the relic yes and an armadillo that's probably pretty close to yeah. what they look like i mean they aren't cute I no mean, they're, like... they're adorable and there's this amphibian yeah i'm sure that's what they were going for yeah very very cute there's an amphibian swamp monster called the mogdan and as you can probably tell by the way i'm saying it i've clearly looked this up on wikipedia because from my memory there's the armadillo monsters of which one of them eats a bloke and it's amazing and there's an amphibian swamp monster who eats a bloke and it's amazing yeah it's great because you've got the the old trope of someone being eaten and all you see is this pair of little legs waving in the sky as you hear kind of the wilhelm scream and it's it's gold do you know, before I actually went for Warlords of Atlantis, I was doing kind of a bit of background reading, and the film that I was thinking of going for was going to be um, Q, The Winged Serpent. Because oh. I thought, I, fan- I fancy kind of like looking up a film and just watching it, just doing my research for tonight's show. And then I kind of watched a couple of trailers and I watched a couple of snippets of uh, The Winged Serpent and I just could not get into it. Uh, did it have any of you guys seen it? I have not. I own I own that majestic piece of filmmaking. And let me tell you, if you think Warlords of Atlantis does not have any strong female parts. Wow. There are like there are like no female parts in Q and the only female part that there really seems to be, like the longest woman on screen, basically she's just sunbathing topless. Yeah. And she gets eaten. Of course. <laughs> so, um, the film, Poor the thing. film that we're referring to, Q the Winged Serpent, um, that was directed by Larry Cohen, and he was, he's, pa- yeah, he's passed he's, away. I was going to say, yeah, he's literally just passed away, so that kind of, like, that came up on my news feed via one of our UK Kaiju fans, um, uh, mentioning that. And the other film that he did, I don't know if you guys saw it, was It's Alive. It was a, a 1970s horror film with sort of like a mutant zombie baby. Does that ring a bell? It can't, that isn't really the kind of thing that I would watch, Alex, but go on. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's alive. Check it out. Actually, no, don't. It's garbage. But um, Larry... Co- watch, Bask- watch Basket Case instead. Yeah, no, ba- ba- Basket <laughs> Case is much more fun. But Larry Cohen, as a director, he made a name for himself of kind of coming up with his own mashup genre of 70s exploitation cinema with sort of bad 60s monster films. And frankly, when I say he made a name for himself, I think it's an infamous name because I could not get along with the films that I've seen. So yeah, I'm glad I went for Warlords of Atlantis. It's it's got some cracking characters in. Like, um, and if you do fancy giving it a look... Warlords of Atlantis, you can find it on Amazon. It's currently £8. 
But uh, the main kind of the main lead male in it, uh, Doug McClure, he was in quite a few sort of rip roaring monster movies. Oh yeah, yeah. He was in Land of Time Forgot. I love, I love that movie. The book is better. And but, um, you know. the Earth's Core, I believe. Oh yes, know that one. So yeah, he was in some pretty fun films actually. I mean, they're all kind of they're all PG, fairly fairly tame stuff, but good fun. And you can pick up the Doug McClure Lost Worlds um, trilogy DVD pack for £15. And you know what? I think that that's a steal. So, um, yeah. Warlords of Atlantis was my film. That was Columbia Pictures. Budget of £2 million, And just my only criticism of it is that it's as if everything has been done through a mud lens. It's all brown and green and just... It's quite a dull film visually, even though there's lots going on. It's very, it's quite exciting. The colours are very dull. So I, I don't know what that was, what, what it was going for there. But yeah, one of my favourite monster movies. Shall we take a break and then um, Paul, are you going to take us away? Yeah. All right. Okay, see you shortly, guys. Thank you. Hey, friends. This is Cam, one of the hosts of the Gamer Heroes podcast. We really hope you're enjoying the show you're listening to right now, and if you are, please consider becoming a patron of the Heroes Podcast Network at patreon.com slash heroespodcasts. Your support would genuinely mean the world to us, and would allow us to cover hosting costs for the website, get new equipment and software, and even make it out to different conventions and events to meet you, our loyal listeners. All Patreon tiers will get you access to the Patron Lounge and Slack, which will allow you to chat and interact with your favorite HPN hosts. On behalf of everyone here at HPN, thank you all so much for your continued support. We really couldn't do any of this without you. Okay, so welcome back. We are Kaiju Curry House. My name is Alex. I am joined by Joe. Howdy there. And Paul, who is going to wake up. Are you there, Paul? Hello, Paul? What? What? Hi. Yeah, hi. Hello, guys. Hello. Sorry. That was so interesting with your old films. Dream about armadillos. From whenever. Dream about armadillos. Yeah, armadillos. <laughs> Actually, your fam, your, that sounded fantastic. And armadillos and cannon fights. And Joe's got a, a hammer horror film. This sounds great. So mine's now going to be all about CGI and probably not quite as interesting. But there you go. Uh, so my film I've chosen is The Host, which is a Korean kaiju movie from 2006. It's about a weird mutant monster in a river that comes out and attacks people. So, pretty standard stuff. Um, it starts off with some scientists dipping a load of chemicals down the drain, you know, not caring. And then you see some guys around the river, and they're like, hey, what's that thing? And the next minute you know... It's an armadillo. <laughs> yeah, and then this armadillo comes out. <laughs> Sorry, Bob. And Aquaman comes and slays him. And it was just fantastic. This is how armadillos evolve, just so you know. <laughs> armadillos come from river water and terrible chemicals. Yeah. That, that, that's where armadillos come from. Well, Someone yeah. <laughs> in Texas is shaking their head. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for clearing that up. Aquaman 2, armadillo. Yes. Anyway. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm going to be quiet. Now. So, yeah. So. so... <laughs> Yeah, so this movie, it doesn't waste any time. It starts off straight with the action, which um, I'm sure a lot of you will appreciate. So um, it's not particularly gory, but there is panic. 
um, and I think it does a really good job of showing the hysteria that this creature's created because he's not massive. He's about, I don't know, kind of elephant size, but obviously not nowhere near as slow or nice as elephant. He's um, chasing down the crowds of people like a lion that's just escaped from the zoo and you're seeing people panic and you're seeing him running, attacking them and it's just so much more it's real um, than when you see a giant kaiju stomping through a city. It's just you just feel like you're there with the people, which I just really appreciated. Um, and then after about ten minutes of mayhem, the film just completely slows down, and you're then watching the families um, mourn the loved ones that have died. So it's just you know again it's really grounded. Um, and from then on, the story is following one family who are trying to find um, their little girl that was. Well, they think they've been taken from the monster rather than eaten. And in fact, she has been because throughout the film, you'll see this little girl surviving in the sewers around corpses and bones. Um, and every time the creature comes, she quickly goes and hides in a tunnel, bless her. So um, the family is in quarantine and they have to try and escape the quarantine, which then means they're on the run from the authorities. And at the same time, try and find this little girl in the sewers. <laughs> it's... Um, it's it's a story all about family, uh, which is really nice to see, and it makes it's like it... any family. They are quite dysfunctional. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean the yeah, <laughs> but then they got I mean like their daughter's this uh, like um Olympic archerist, which comes in really handy when attacking a creature, um, and the guy's a little bit slow, a little, <laughs> um, and then you've got the dad who's just helping out it's yeah it's a diverse family uh i say and they're trying to be reunited which is lovely and then at the end the creature comes back and there's a nice i won't spoil it but there's a a good uh satisfying climax uh to the end of the film i'll say so plot it's it's not wasting time with an an origin story it's just oh there's some chemicals oh there's a mutant ah and then it's all about family and then at the end again it's ah there's a monster but um, really, really good. Uh, as I did say, it's CGI, uh, 2006 CGI, but they're holding up really well. Uh, I, I couldn't fault them any real way. I'm not sure what the budget was, but I don't think it was massive. And yet it was um, really, really solid effects. There isn't that much screen time for the creature. And I know a lot of people moan about Godzilla not being in the Godzilla film much. So just a word of warning there for people who are looking for a full-on monster flick this is more a story of the family but yeah there you go um, it's also worth noting that you're referring to the, the korean film and not the not the film adaptation by stephanie meyer no not the twilight person there's no yeah i don't actually know what her film's about but it's probably not got monsters in it no uh, if it did they'll just sparkle in the sunlight so we wouldn't don't be that interested um, the like muse- Space Godzilla. Sp- oh god, did he just spark in the light? Space Armadillo. Space. I heard Armadillo. Oh, oh, I hope that's a film. What Space Armadillo? Space Armadillo. It's a Kraken film. And if it's not, we should make it. Yes. This is fantastic stuff. Kick- Kickstarter. Let's go. <laughs> I'm just having a look at the the budget now. So um, okay, okay. Um, a space armadillo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's real. Dear me. Uh, so yeah, the, the budget was eleven million. Oh wow, that's quite good then. And is it? Is it? That's quite good. Uh, it? It, that's a decent budget. Well, it yeah. would have been a good budget in nineteen seventy-eight. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, in two thousand six, I don't know 
if that's yeah box office 90 million so it, it did well that's it... not too shabby no it's not i mean i know i've said it's it's a lesser known kaiju it's not obviously that lesser known because it's got a uk release and it's available on blu-ray but for those who have only just seen no but it's not yeah. Yeah, but that's it because I'm I'm obviously quite a mainstream it seems, and a lot of people have probably just seen Godzilla and Pacific Rim and, and Kong, and they might want to venture out a little bit. And this isn't, you know, too far of a stretch because it's still reasonably modern, yeah. and it's you know it's dubbed and stuff, so it's it's a good one to go to. It's not too completely left field, you know. It's um... exactly it can ease you in. I can't think kind it? of when we are in such a niche sort of fandom, you do stop kind of like thinking for a second and go, well, I think this is an amazing film. Everyone should watch Warlords of Atlantis. It's like, well, hang on a second, Alex. Do people really want to watch something that, you know, Rotten Tomatoes reckons about 40% of people actually liked it, you know? So it's, yeah, you do kind of like trap yourself into thinking that your your niche is loved by all. And as Joe said in our last episode, the joy of these monster movies is that they're not for everyone. You know, they are a specific taste. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I think and, um, I've sent Joe to sleep. You know, I dream about armadillos. Yeah. No, I'm I'm listening. I'm listening. Yeah. I'm just researching armadillos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, w- what was the general? Oh, so sorry, I'll carry on. What was the general tone of the host like um, for you? Because I mean, well, thinking of, thinking over the two films that we've discussed, where uh, Joe was saying that kind of, there was sort of quite a serious moral kind of stance to the Abominable Snowman, and for Warlords of Atlantis, it's just you know good fun adventure. So yeah, this is quite a more of a much more serious film. Although um, some of the acting, oh, I, don't, I don't want to fault the acting actually. Uh, mm. I did watch it dubbed, so that probably took away from it. But the the main character, he is a bit goofy at times. Um, I'm sure that's probably just a cultural thing. Like some of the Japanese films, they quite over exaggerate scenes and things. Mm. You kind of get used to that. So I mean that that was a little bit odd. But most of the time, it's quite serious. As I say it's. It's ground level. There's people being attacked. There's families mourning the death. It's not um, to be taken lightly, really. Yeah, mm. I'll 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 throw this in. So as the dad of a little girl, the host makes me sad. <laughs> um, Aww. Well, I mean, like, so basically, the creature catches this little girl, as you said, and then it sticks her in like a feeding trough, and there's like a little like waste tube that she hides in while this thing is hoarding bodies around her and like you just feel for this little kid and i think at one point like you kind of see into like the creature's biology because like it eats people and then it vomits up all of the bones and she's just she's just right there so yeah yeah there's one scene where he just spews yeah yeah so this is a very colorful child-friendly happy film Mm. and i mean like it's a very well done film i will say that like when you watch it, like the family makes sense, and the film makes sense, like the absurdity of the monster is kind of kind of put in the background in relation to the family drama and how they're being treated, but it, it's it still is like you kind of leave feeling a little bit down, like I said, like it is like all the people that died and all the missing you know like mothers fathers kids and all that and then like the pollution that's going on and then at the end you kind of have that have we actually learned anything from this feeling yeah so that's it yeah it's quite it's a good it's a good grounded film and how did you discover it i have no idea i think i saw it in like a hmv or something one day hmv does advertise it a lot you can just wake up in a room with like a spotlight on you and you're gonna be watching this you're in a chair 
there was an armadillo next to you. Like, what? What's going on? Yeah, no, I was just, I think I just saw it in a shop and it said, um, actually, it was, um, it was like on the cover, it says it's like Jaws meets Jurassic Park or something. Yeah. I was thinking, huh, okay, why not? One of the greatest monster movies ever made says whatever. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. So, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I, I think it was just an impulse buy, really. Well, I'm going to go and watch it. It looks fairly good, actually. Yeah, you've got my attention. Yeah, if you haven't seen it... No, you, you've, yeah, got my, you've got my attention. And I want to go watch Warlords of Atlantis now. I... Nobody likes my film. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's not, that's not true at all. No, I mean, um, yeah, Warlords of Atlantis, it's only 90 minutes long, so, you know, it's not ridiculous. And it, it's, it's harmless, it's good fun, it's aged... Uh, well, it's aged, you know. It's aged. <laughs> it has aged. Not like a fine wine. No, no, not like a fine I mean, you know, it's... I mean, for goodness sake, you know, it, it's 41 years old when you think about it. It aged like milk, Alex. <laughs> it's, oh, yeah. it's aged like milk. It's aged like a pack of Jaffa cakes that have been left out and not in a barrel. That's the best way to describe it. So you'll take, okay. you know, like you'll you'll find the you'll find the Jaffa cake and you're like, oh, I'll give that a try. It'll be fine. Bite into it. Oh, it wasn't fine. Why did I do that? And that's basically what Warlords of Atlantis is like. If it was a biscuit, it would be a Jaffa cake that had been left out for a week. Well, that's that's great. <laughs> you completely unsold this now. <laughs> Inci- incidentally, for all of our listeners, Alex would like all of your kaiju armadillo-related fan artwork sent to him, please. <laughs> I would. I'm going to start commissioning kaiju-related armadillo. Yeah, or possibly um, who's the actor for Aquaman? What's his name? Jason Momoa. Yeah, I, I want basically his face on an armadillo. Oh my god. <laughs> him. I think him writing the Atlantean armadillo yeah. would be pretty cool. Did the host ever get a sequel? Because it's 2006, so it's a while ago. No. 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 Uh, standalone film, no, which is fine. Nothing wrong with a standalone film. Exactly. Doesn't doesn't always need to have a sequel. Okay, so I think, guys, we're going to wrap up. Um, Joe, starting with yourself, let's go in chronological order. If nothing else, Joe. So, if nothing else, um, please check out my film, The Abominable Snowman, because it is good. And it's by Hammer, and it's an economical buy. But if that is not uh, up your alley, what I will say is uh, Alex and his Warlord of Atlantis, Warlords of Atlantis have inspired me to uh, shout this out. Um, check out Edgar Rice Burroughs' book, The Land That Time Forgot. Mm. That's just a good old-school adventure yarn with some creatures in it. It's got nazis it's got americans it's got british folks it has a submarine lost civilizations fun times but edgar rice bros the land that time forgot and the abominable snowman check my see that that's that's the word i'd forgotten it's a yarn yeah if i had to describe warlords of atlantis it's a gripping yarn nothing more nothing less it's just good bit of fun and it's a yarn i, I haven't heard that word in a while if i if i could just have the dictionary of words that you use, Joe, my life would be a lot easier because you always have the right words for the situation. It's wonderful. And for myself, if nothing else, I think get yourself on Amazon and look up Doug McClure's Lost Worlds. And uh, I found that by typing in Warlords of Atlantis. It's the first thing that comes up. DVD, three films, it's a three DVD set, 15 quid. You know, it's 
I think that's a no-brainer. And on that, you've got the Earth's Core, Warlords of Atlantis, which if I say it any more times, I'm going to turn into an armadillo, and the land that time forgot, which you've just mentioned. Well, hey! Yeah, so you know what? Like, that's a fiver a film. I mean, that that's my week sorted out. What about yourself, Paul, if nothing else? If nothing else, um, I'm going to say that you should go watch Tremors 5. Because I wanted to do Tremors as my film, and Joe said it's it's too mainstream. It's well, the first one maybe is mainstream, but there's now six films of the TV series. So honestly, go see Tremors Five if you've only seen the first one, because that that was a surprisingly good film. I mean, we could we could do a whole podcast on Tremors. Okay. We could. I would love to do that. Right. You know what? We're on. Okay. I mean, like. Are we being that hipster where we start saying Tremors 5 is too mainstream? Like, because of oh, Tremors 5, for goodness sake. You know what? Right, you're on. Maybe not the next episode, but let, let, let's just, let's rip each one apart. Scene by scene, we will have a Tremors session. <laughs> yes. There yes. we go. Do it. Something to look forward to. Are there, are there any Tremors films of armadillos then? I don't know. Not that I know of. Maybe that's the new one. Maybe the giant kaiju armadillos eat the graboids. <laughs> right, gentlemen. I'm going to sign off now. So my name is Alex, and thank you very much. All right, thanks for listening, guys. Goodbye. Thanks for listening, folks. Keep it kaiju and have a great time. Kaiju Curry House is part of the Heroes Podcast Network and produced by UK Kaiju with music by Flying Killer Robots. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe at heroespodcast.com or on the various podcast services such as Apple iTunes, Google Play, or just about any podcast app. If you want to get involved with the show, please tweet us at UKKaiju, and check out UKKaiju.com for the latest news, events, and kaiju thoughts from all of us. Thanks for listening. To be fair, Alex, if they had actually been armadillos, that movie would have been so much better. You really got excited there when they said armadillos. Yeah. I know, I know, like, because if you look them up on the internet, they're not armadillos. But, you know, I can see where you were going, Alex. I can see where you're going. They're armadillos. <laughs> I think we need to get back now. <laughs> when we made our new McDonald's spicy chicken McNuggets, you were praise hands emoji. Then we ran out and you were streaming tears emoji. Now they're back, so you can be grinning face with sweat emoji. Order ahead on the McDonald's app. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. For a limited time at participating McDonald's. Take the stress out of your next property update. Lowe's has the brand's pros trust, like Whirlpool, GE, Amana, and Hotpoint. All at prices that make sense for your business. And now you can get volume savings on appliance purchases of $1,500 or more. When you save every day, it's easy to build your business. Shop Lowe'sForPros.com and have your items delivered directly to your properties. Just one more reason why we're the new home for pros. While supplies last, see store for details. U.S. only.